As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Yes, we're here twice weekly with all the latest Arsenal news and chat with our rolling cast of Arsenal writers and analysts today. We're joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Good morning. Hello. Hello. You're right there, Adrian. You look a little bit uh, unsteady. Are you sitting on some sort of stool with legs that aren't quite working properly? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I haven't had much sleep. I'm just a little, oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's all coffee at the minute. Okay, fair enough. Uh, running on fumes is Mr. Clark right now. All or Nothing is happening. I have to admit, by the way, that I have started watching it. I watched the uh, the North London derby game the other day and marvellous it was too. I'm going to slowly go through it. But I was thinking about this and thinking, what Arsenal team would you have liked to have seen an All or Nothing for? I mean, we can pretty much go wherever we want. If you want to see a team from the 1930s and Herbert Chapman describing the WM formation, let's just assume that TV had been invented then. (laughs) We could see it in high definition. Uh, Adrian, uh, no, I'll tell you what, Amy, I'll start with you. God, you know what? It's such a good question because you can make an argument for like tons of different things. Actually, as soon as you mentioned Herbert Chapman, I thought, how bloody wonderful. I'd absolutely love to watch some footage of the, you Wouldn't know... Wouldn't it be amazing? The, Shirt the numbers. teams of old. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Herbert. <laughs> Floodlights, uh, you're joking me. <laughs> what, was that, um, what was that comedy show that had the sort of old, old footballers? Was it in the Fast Show? Oh, Charles Chomley like, Chomley, whatever. Yes. What's it? It'd just be marvellous. Chomley Warner. Yeah. That's yeah. it, that's it. But uh, I think, in a way, 71 would be amazing because of the the characters involved and, you know, see, you know what Frank McClintock would have been like in that dressing room and the sort of slightly upright Bertie Me with this kind of fantastically wild, uh, verbose, sweary, you know, great leader of a captain I think good and and the young kids coming to you know it's it's all about the blend of the teams and the personalities but let's be honest almost any Arsenal winning team is <laughs> you'd rather be watching in an all or nothing you can yeah. I mean 98 I think would be so phenomenal because you'd be watching 
as live that kind of transition between old Arsenal and new Arsenal. She's going to do when all Benga of the teams, came in. Adrian. She's going to do stop. every single team. I will stop. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I, do you know what? I think I'm going to go 98. Are you? Yeah. yeah. That's, it's a good call. It's a good call. I was going to do that. You know, but... to have the famous old back four and everything that they represented, uh, having to begin to come to terms with the Wengerisms and the, all the kind of modernist ideals that he brought in and then seeing a young Patrick Vieira Bergkamp and some of the more kind of like technical and more sophisticated as we thought them at the time influences Petit coming in over Mars blending that team together they you know they they nearly blew it there was the I'm sure that any footage of the Blackburn home game where Arsenal lost 3-1 famously where there was a, it kicked off a bit afterwards within the team and they had some very serious talking to, you know, the idea of Tony Adams going up to Dennis Bergkamp and going, you know, sort of, you think you're good? You've got to show it. Yeah. You've got to be doing this stuff. Yeah, we'd and then, then winning 10 games in a row to win the title. I'd watch that. <laughs> sure. I think we would watch that. Adrian, what are you saying? I mean, you've lived it, right? But what were, you know, in terms of being in the dressing room, but what would you like to see? Exactly the same. I'm not going to try and be clever and try and pick something out else out. It, the 1998 team, the, the moment you asked the question, I thought, yeah, that is the team. Firstly, because it's just after I left and I'd like to have seen what happened next in detail. But it was the collection of, of individuals in the dressing room. You've got all those senior players coming towards the end of their careers, having to embrace the newness of Arsene Wenger and, and some of the newcomers and faces. And... And I, and I know for a fact there was there were a lot of funny moments uh, during that period where they were acclimatising to, to Arsene Wenger and, and basically taking the mickey out of him behind his back, something rotten, and just funny. testing his patience a little bit um, as he desperately tried to make them be these um, these athletes that that lived the right life, but but they were in that transition. They still wanted to eat the rubbish food and and have a few beers, and and there would there would be a lot of comedy moments. I think from that nineteen ninety eight team. So yeah, that's it would be a must watch absolutely. And I, I can't think of a another Arsenal team I'd rather have an insight into than, than that group, which are also great on the pitch. Ninety eight is is a very good call. I mean, I was sort of jokingly talking about Herbert Chapman and those nineteen thirties teams, but. <laughs> You know, when you think about all the innovations that he came up with, I think it will be interesting. I mean, you're talking about it in a similar way with 98, with this blend of old and new. Herbert Chapman must have come into that dressing room and said all these things that people went, really? God, how we've never considered things in that way before. So I think it's when transition is happening. Um, the other one that I would choose, it's not particularly a season so much, but I know we had Bob Wilson on here last year sometime talking about the Fairs Cup win in 1970. I'd love to have been in the dressing room, uh, to have uh, had a camera inside the dressing room for that away game when um, we scored a goal with 10 minutes to go to, to, uh, to make it 3-1. And, uh, and then there was a rousing speech. Was it Frank McClintock who wrote that Frank. speech? Yeah. 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 And just to hear something like that, if we could see inside that dressing room that night, because the way Bob Wilson talked about it, there was a certain awe in his voice. So I'd like to see uh, something like that. Go on, Adrian. What about the Pizzagate season? Would, would that have made the cut? They wouldn't have made the edit, would it? It wouldn't. We all want to know what really happened. We want to see Fergie getting pelted, but it wouldn't have made the edit. Let's be Do you know what? That's interesting as well, because there's a lot of things that we will not see, but those sort of incidents would be great. I mean, it would also be interesting, grim as it may seem, uh, to see inside that dressing room after that Old Trafford game. 
to be honest, because I was outside the dressing room in Old Trafford and we were angry. I cannot begin to imagine <laughs> what they felt like uh, having lost to when Mike Wright anyway. You don't want to even go over the old ground again. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, uh, question and uh, I think those answers are excellent. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, as regular listeners will know, uh, I'm currently performing at the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, the counting house every day at 4 p.m. if you're up here. But one of the interesting things about doing the show is that before one comes up here, you do previews where you try stuff out and see what works and what doesn't. Now, personally, I wouldn't want reviewers to see that sort of thing because one has to be allowed to fail in order to make things work on the big nights. But it may be interesting for fans to see the process because then, of course, they might trust the process. Uh, the reason I was thinking about this is because of what Granite Xhaka said the other day. The people who do not see us in training, for example, do not see how hard we are working. They see us only in the 90 minutes. Everyone has a good day and bad day. That's, that is why I spoke with the club as well about why can't we bring the fans maybe once a week so they can see how we train. Adrian, what do you think about this? An open training session. I mean, how open would it be for one thing? Because you don't want... Because obviously, if I'm a if I'm a spy for a team that that Arsenal are about to play the next week, I'll try and get a ticket for the opening training for the open training session and see if I can get any clues. Yeah, it's it's never going to happen. I'm sorry, I just don't <laughs> think it would work. Um, you wouldn't see anything. I mean, I know for a fact, speaking to the camera cameraman at, at Arsenal that, that sort of filmed the breakdown and whatnot, you know, they've got their window to film basic stuff. But as soon as they start to get to the serious tactical bits, it's like, right, camera's off, please clear off, you know, because we don't want anyone to see this. And, yeah, I think the members' days were really good when, when they happened, and hopefully they'll, they'll bring them back in the school holidays. It was a nice occasion, but you basically just saw the players warming up and having a bit of a knock around. It wasn't a proper training session. Yeah, it, it's good to do that during school holidays, maybe two or three times a season but but yeah there's absolutely no chance they're going to open up training for for fans to watch no it's not going to happen football people are very paranoid and they want to keep keep things in house and 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 let's be honest as well when when you peek behind the curtain it's sometimes not as interesting or as exciting as as you imagined either and and I think as we've seen with some of the some of the bits in the dressing room in the documentary so yeah, I just think it's better to keep it private I, I know where Jacques is coming from but I don't think it will happen here Amy you went uh, a number of times uh, as a member of the press to go and watch a bit of training but um, you don't really see a huge amount do you see the players trotting out and warming up and then um, that's about it isn't it yeah, I mean, it's uh, exactly what Adrian was saying. There's a sort of window. There's a slight pretense about the whole thing, as if every and all the players almost have a look on their face as if they're well aware that you know they wouldn't do anything that that would be could be interpreted in any way. And I, mean, I remember sometimes being there. I don't know. There was one. What game was it? There was. There'd been a little bit of a bust up between Meza Urzil and I think it was Emery. I think he might have been dropped or something like that. And we were there for a. Uh, 
a bit of open training. What happens is, particularly with European games, where it's part of the um, contract that you actually have to provide 15 minutes or so of uh, what they call open training, so that it's, it's largely for the cameras, but you know the rest of us are allowed to go and observe. And I do remember being there, and the, you know it was like the, the the analysis of this sort of handshake-ish thing that went on between Mesut Ozil and Unai Emery <laughs> was as close as anybody got to kind of something insightful because it would, as Adrian says, you, you cannot be giving away trade secrets that openly and that easily. I think Granite's, I, what, I, what I think Granite's sort of getting at, though, when he talks about open training isn't necessarily come and watch the whole training session in its entirety, but it's just about connection. Yeah. It's another kind of strand to what the club have been, I think, trying very hard to achieve. When you look back from day one, Mikel Arteta, he doesn't waste an opportunity to to talk about and bring up the connection with the fans. And it happened last weekend after the Saliba own goal and he made a very big point in the dressing room of complimenting the support of the of the fans afterwards and how much that would have been a, a big thing, not just to, to Libra, but to, you know, the whole vibes around the club at the moment. And it, it's an ongoing thing. And I think Arsenal are open to trying as much as they feel they can do without betraying confidences and adding extra pressure. So I wouldn't see it as impossible, but I think it would be in a in a very specific way. If it ever did happen, there'd be a small, you know, a number of people invited, or they might do a training session at, at the Emirates, where they let in a thousand or a couple of thousand or five thousand people, a bit like the old members' day, and the players come and do a bit of warming up and you know some physical work, and everybody gets the chance to sort of see each other in a slightly different environment to the ninety minutes of a game. How helpful that'll be to aiding that connection, I don't know, but I guess anything, anything's worth trying. I mean, you look at the Ashburton Army, um, what they're doing at the minute. Um, you know, there's there's something going on there. They're creating that. You know, they want to promote this idea that they're doing something to help the club and to help the team and to help that connection. You know, they're a bunch of young guys, and I think that a lot of people would like to be doing what they're doing. They've got the opportunity because they have season tickets and they come to games. But you know, I remember being twenty or twenty one and or whatever age they are, and you 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 want to feel your helping you want to feel you're making a difference you want to feel you're contributing um yeah so all these things i think are are, are kind of fuel for that particular energy there's definitely a drive in the club at the moment for inclusivity and for everyone to be on the same team um sort of on and off the pitch there's a lot of even in the language of the editorial there's a lot of us and we and, and things like that, rather than, than talking about us and them in regards to us watching the team. It's we are one as, as a collective. So, so yeah, I think that there's a real, it's a deliberate move from the club to to improve that connection between the fans and, and to show everybody that we're all in this, in this together. The, the thing about training, unfortunately, I mean, you see it in a match where players feel the need to cover up their face, cover up their mouths when they're talking to each other for fear of of somebody lip reading them or getting garnering some kind of information so so the concept of having proper training including tactical work you know there for everyone to see i, I just think is uh, a million miles away sadly ian just going back to how you started off this uh, topic 
you talked about maybe having that little bit of extra would help people to trust the process. Just curious to know what you guys think. Do you feel that there are there is a a kind of sizable percentage who don't trust the process? And I know we all know that was a kind of risible phrase for a period. But when you see what's going on, when you see, you understand the plan and the strategy, because it's pretty clear now and you can see the progress and people can feel the progress. It's not just seeing it with your own eyes. It's something in your gut. It's something in your tingly, you know, spine. Mm. It's something in your heart. I don't know too many people at the minute or I don't see too much about, but maybe I'm not looking in the right places or, or hearing it of people who don't feel they're buying into what's going on. Do you think no. that kind of Mickey taking of trust the process is sort of on its way out? Oh, I, I think it's gone, to be honest with you. I think, I mean, I, I think I agree with you guys. Granite Jack had brought this up, I think particularly because of his relationship with the fans and how up and down it's been. But in terms of the process overall, I, I think, I mean, the, the evidence is there for all to see. I think everyone has bought in, you know, pre-season, the way that they spent money in the close season and then pre-season and then the way we've started in the Premier League, I think everyone's gone, we are on to something here. What it's going to be, I mean, there was a very interesting piece by uh, James uh, who wrote a piece about Manchester United and where they are compared to us. And we appear to be going in opposite directions. And, um, you know, the, the way that they trusted, that the, the hierarchy trusted Mikel Arteta and gave him the authority. And I think he's shown that he was he was worthy of that trust, really. And I, and I think that everyone now has bought in completely. I, no, no, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't trust the process at this point. And I really wasn't taking the mickey. I genuinely, I, like I say, I think this whole thing came about with Granite Xhaka because of his particular relationship with the fans. You know, that moment last year when Granite Xhaka scored that goal against Manchester United, that felt almost like a dam breaking. And everyone going, okay, it's okay to love Granite again. Because he's not an easy guy to love, is he? And I think he's saying, if they saw how hard I worked in training, but I don't think we need to at this point. I think I think at this point, I think everyone's going, you know what, just do your thing because it seems to be working. Go on, Amy. Oh, I wonder if there is a kind of potential for a new relationship with Granite because of the new position that he's playing in. I often feel with um, with him that... There was a very insightful bit in the documentary, I thought, when he got sent off against Liverpool and he was the last man. And there was a bit of banter going on between the players, I think they're probably the next day in the gym or something like that. And he was he was sort of saying to them, you should be thanking me because I was back there and took one for the team. Otherwise, there was no one else. Where were you all? And I think that he's always had this slightly overdeveloped sense of responsibility, Granite. That's how he plays. And I remember doing a, a piece about him a while ago, speaking to some people in Switzerland who recalled him from being a youngster in Basel and talking about exactly that characteristic, which is his most of his, uh, his mistakes or his errors or his vulnerabilities or weaknesses, whatever the word is, come... The irony is, in, in, in a way, that He's seen as irresponsible, but it comes from a place where he's trying to yeah. take responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And by playing deep, he's obviously going to get himself into those more dangerous, more threatening situations, more more hazards, more often. 
So if he's playing higher up, which he which he usually does for Switzerland, that sort of lack of pace doesn't get so exposed by his sort of kind of primeval sense of taking responsibility for whatever, trying to do everything. And of course, sometimes when you try and do everything, you spread yourself a bit thin and you don't do anything quite to its best. So it might be that if 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 he sustains this slightly higher position in the field, uh, you know, for most of this season, that he's able to impact the team differently and put in a great performance the other day. You know, what more do you want from a player in that position than what he provided? No, quite. I, I just think he's he's sort of lived through the most turbulent time in the Arsenal uh, the last mm. five or six years. And he's been very central to the whole thing. And it would be lovely to have a denouement when he lifts a, a, a major trophy, wouldn't it? When uh, And we all go, yes, there you go, Granite. That's what we that's what we wanted. The Switzerland international Granite playing slightly further up. Uh, anyway, very interesting to see that development. I understand exactly what he was saying, but there is no chance of any of us fans getting to see a training session anytime soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. We can, of course, go and watch some of uh, the players coming through into the squad or coming back from injuries, uh, playing for the under-21s. One of those who did the other day was Fabio uh, Vieira. He was in action for the academy uh, in the Premier League Cup against Swansea City. Emil Smith-Rowe also played, and uh, Cedric, you'll be pleased to know, Amy. Uh... (laughs) Had an excellent 90 minutes, I'm told. And scored as well, a free kick, and he's very popular in the dressing room. And Mikel Arteta was there, Vinay was there. I know uh, JJ Bull uh, at TIFO did a breakdown on the Portuguese uh, player. Uh, Adrian, he does a lot out of possession, uh, apparently, and he spent he played most of the last time at central attacking midfield as a number 10. Do you think that's ultimately where he might end up, or is it too early to tell? It was a useful 45 minutes, I think. Yeah, well, we don't really use a, a number 10 at the moment, do we? So, so he wouldn't get into the team in that position. No. In the here and now, it'd have to be in, in, in a different role, either as wide forward or as one of the box-to-box midfielders. Um, but yeah, no, it's really good. Um, I enjoyed the the analysis from JJ. And yeah, particularly the, the, the stats on his off-the-ball work and recovering possession. That's really, really important. He's not, not necessarily someone that's explosive enough to, to go past players for fun, but he uses the ball 
um, very, very wisely, and he can he can play those progressive forward passes, particularly the through balls, better than most people. So yeah, I think he's a really exciting player that we've got here. We can't rush him because he's clearly a little bit. You know, he's not the strongest, um, but he will improve in that. And I'll tell you why he'll improve because he's trained. He'll soon be training really hard, as Granite has, has outlined every day with Premier League oven ready players won't he and 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 that will toughen him up we haven't he hasn't trained a lot yet because he got injured so early after he joined so so i think that that process will will come quite quickly and then we'll have a real player on our hands yeah i i, I think though if you remember the, the game at the weekend against leicester all those little movements in and around the 18 yard box little triangles looking to slip jesus or martinelli in beyond He's going to be perfect for that. So, uh, yeah, look, looks looks ace. And Amy, you talked about his physicality. You mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that you mentioned to Edu about how he's he's quite slight, and Edu was uh, he wasn't too worried about that because he thinks he's got we've got a real gem uh, there. It's just a case of slowly integrating him into the squad, isn't it? Really, I bet he's raring to go, and I think you know. I, I hope well. I hope he's in the squad for the weekend because I think it's important, you know, he's had a, a not ideal start in terms of having a, you know, an injury issue immediately. And obviously there's been such a kind of growing buzz and, and, and feel good around pre-season. I bet he's chomping at the bit to really feel part of it. I think he's made some good friends. I think he's got a strong personality, a lot of character. And, you know, there's quite that, that young sort of, Portuguese Brazilian set I think they're all really quite tight already within the group not necessarily in a quick cliquey way but in a supportive way yes he need I think he needs you need that taste you need to feel part of it you need to feel close to competition so even if he's not quite ready after 45 minutes and I don't think people expect him to come on necessarily against Bournemouth just having him travel with the team be with the team spend match day with the team is another big step in you know him being where he wants to be, which is being involved. And I think we're all excited to see what he can do. I don't think it'll be long before he comes on for five or ten minutes here or there in the right situation. I think they want to probably get him involved as soon as they can. And with the team performing the way they are, Adrian, and, and, and things, you know, the mood in the squad, you'd imagine that a player on the periphery would want to get involved as soon as they possibly can. Yeah. Nice time to come in, isn't it, into a team that's playing with real confidence and, and fluency. I think he might be timing his return quite nicely for the Europa League group stage. I would imagine that that's games. where we'll see plenty of him because Martin Odegaard can't play every week and I think that he would be probably the guy to, to be his main understudy. Obviously, Smith-Rowe might have something to say about that, but I'd, I'd maybe see Smith-Rowe competing more with, with Martinelli. So... So yeah, in the, in that group stage, I think he'll get a lot of starts and hopefully a lot of impressive, confidence building performances. Yeah, I saw I saw clips of the game. I was working last night, but I've seen clips of the game at Boreham Wood, and, and yeah, he looked like he played it quite safe, but looked great on the ball. One lovely little ball over the top for Smith Rowe, which which was which was gorgeous. And yeah, he's he looks an awesome player, doesn't he? He looks made for us. And uh, he looks made for the Arteta brand of football as well. So, yeah, I can absolutely see why we signed him. And I look forward to seeing him in proper action because, yeah, these 21 games are more like training 
than than real matches. When there's a crowd there, when there's something on it, that's where you really see these these players excel. I think the other person who uh, will be appearing a bit in the Europa League and looking to make an impact there is Marquinhos, who yeah. I think has impressed people quite early on. And unlike Fabio Vieira, he's a tank. So uh, I think physically, he, he you know they don't have to sort of wait for him to get used to too much, maybe. But um, but I think he's maybe caught the eye a bit more than they were expecting for this early stage of his development. So uh, I think it be great to see some of these cup games come along and, and have a look at who's pushing. Two weeks to go until the transfer window closes. Pepe has been linked with Nice. Adrian, I mean, listen, I think we all agree that we overspent on Nicola Pepe. He hasn't produced what we wanted and and essentially they want to get him off the books, don't they? Uh, but if they, it's, it's unlikely they're going to be able to sell him anytime soon, not just because we're never going to recoup 72 million quid, which I don't believe we paid all of anyway. Uh, but more than that, his wages must be through the roof as well. So it would work for all concerned and it would mean we can maybe bring one more player in, although they know they're going to have to be an understudy to Pekayo Saka. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, I think it's pretty clear that he's he's way down the pecking order at the moment. So he needs to get out and play some football, doesn't he? And from Arsenal's perspective, if he goes out on loan and plays superbly, he comes back a more confident player. But maybe more importantly, he'll come back with that transfer value, maybe experience a little bit of a positive bounce. Because if they, if they just sell him right now, I don't think there'll be that many takers at a fee that Arsenal would, would look to recoup. When you say that Goes many, you mean perf- none at all, <laughs> I think is what you mean. <laughs> Look, there's a player in there, he, he scores goals, he's got a good left foot, his his impact, his actual end product is, is way better than a lot of people give him credit for. And his attitude actually at, at times last season was very good. He was buying into the, the demands of Mikel Arteta, but... I just feel he had one or, one or two too many ineffectual performances for the manager. And once a manager loses that trust in you, yeah. it's pretty hard to pull it back. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, I, yeah, it feels like in the here and now he needs to play for a different manager and, and, and build up that confidence again. And, yeah, it could be a win-win for, for Arsenal and the player. Yeah, and and uh, Amy, in terms of squad depth, do you still think one more coming in uh, in midfield would would be something that um, would be desirable? I mean, uh, obviously, my ideas aren't necessarily the same as as people who are there every day and know everything. But um, I still feel like there's two areas that you know someone else with quality would be a great help, and. Uh, Adrian and I have banged the drum enough about wanting to have three centre forwards. So that's, you know, that's something that I don't, I, I don't think the club are necessarily looking to do, but I wouldn't mind it. And then the midfield, you know, I, I feel like having, we just talked about Xhaka being a slightly different player when he's not sort of having to be a defensive midfield player. And I'm not, I'm not sure where they quite what the deal is with Sambi at the moment in terms of whether we they really regard him as a viable alternative to Partey if Partey's not playing, because I think we don't really want to return to that situation where Granit goes back. Ideally, another alternative would be playing Zinchenko there, but that's entirely dependent on Tierney being fit, 
uh, for a long time. But, you know, I think he could step into the base of midfield with his qualities and, uh, you know, that would be an interesting option. So it feels like somewhere along the line there needs to be another number on that kind of defensive midfield area, whether it's another left-back that means that Zinchenko can play there or whether it's another defensive midfield player. I I don't know, but I just... I think, you know, throughout his time here, um, there's been moments where Arsenal been without Thomas Partey and it's it's been difficult without a serious alternative. So that would be something that seems like a good idea. Adrian, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I do agree. I think that El Nini is maybe more mm. more rated, respected than than we give him credit for inside the building. I think I think well for last season El Nini was ahead of Sambi Laconga, wasn't he, in the pecking order? So for the, for that position. Yeah, sorry, Mo. I feel really bad. He's... I didn't forgot to mention him. Yeah. Oh gosh. Can we do that but, bit again? We haven't seen a lot. Yeah. We haven't seen a lot of him, though, have we? We haven't. Oh, and, no. uh, but I'm not seeing this link with a player of that ilk. No. We're being linked with sort of box to box midfielders, and I get that. Is it Lucas Paqueta or Tielemans or something like that? We're also being linked with wide forwards that can maybe play up front. The 19-year-old from Villarreal is interesting. Jeremy Pino. I don't know if we'd be able to get him, but. He, he looks good. The Ferran Torres link was interesting. Obviously, Barcelona are looking to offload, aren't they? And uh, he's someone that can play wide and down the middle. And I think he would be a very good... A tremendous um, footballer. Great but he would be, He would be outstanding. Yeah, he would be yeah. outstanding to, to form that trio with, with uh, Nketiah and Jesus. And all three of them are kind of identical. I've, I've banged the drum for a bigger striker. I just don't think it's going to happen. No. I just don't get that feeling. I, it doesn't I would seem, do that, Adrian, but it doesn't seem that's the no. way they're looking, does it, really? No, it doesn't. So they, they want mobile strikers, all of the same mould. And, and I think Ferran Torres would, would be awesome. As, as probably second choice to to Jesus, but um, but yeah, we'll we'll have to watch this space. I also think that everyone's going to get plenty of football, and I think sometimes you know you get a bit fixated by this one's going to be understudy to this, this one's going to be. But given that we've got a five substitution situation now in football, given that the Europa League potentially has a lot of game time in it, given that there's a World Cup coming in this weird kind of halted season. I'd be absolutely astonished if three centre forwards don't get plenty of football, for example. Yeah, well, I agree. We we shall see. Listen, they have been very active in the uh, in the transfer market, and you sort of know that they're on it. So, and I don't. I'm not going to say trust the process, but in this particular case, I think the uh, one has to give them a certain leeway that they they have thought quite long and hard about all this. I was slightly admonished on Twitter last week because we talked about Bukayo Saka being nominated for the balloon, uh, Ballon d'Or, the Copper Trophy. Um, <laughs> the balloon. Yeah. Balloon for the balloon. Oh, sorry. Uh, for the Ballon d'Or. I just read that. and uh, Anyway, for the Ballon d'Or Copper Trophy last week, uh, but that is for the best player in the world under 21. But we didn't mention uh, that Viv Miedema and Beth Mead were nominated for the women's, uh, the women's Ballon d'Or uh, the other week. And so I am mentioning it now. And you're absolutely right to tell us off. Uh, results will be announced mid-October, I believe, and we'll keep you posted. Beth Mead, uh, Adrian, must have a serious shot at the main award. Oh, not half, yeah. I mean, she was the best player at the at the Euros. Goals for fun, assists for fun. 
she's she's a really exciting player actually and uh yeah i like i like her personality as well seems quite grounded and bubbly and whatnot so yeah no beth mead has been awesome i think viv Miedemar has had sort of a transitional season or year almost changing positions didn't maybe influence the euros you know as much as she would like so so i think beth has got got the best chance of uh of picking up that gong we'll see Nacho Monreal uh, has announced his retirement uh, with a video feature featuring Muse's version of Feeling Good as the background. I love that version of that song. Uh, he said it's the knee. His knee is the reason uh, for his retirement. My knee sends me a message loud and clear. I can't continue. Do I get mad? No. I listen to my knee and accept the situation and that's it for everything. <laughs> a stage is over. Another starts. I'm happy and feeling good. One more time in capitals on my script. I feel good. Amy, uh, Nacho got some stick, for, I think, from some fans uh, of our acquaintance. Um, but scored... Is there anyone in particular you mean there? Uh, no one in particular at all, Amy. Okay. <laughs> no one in particular that I, I would name. I didn't know he got a stick. <laughs> I, yeah, no, he did. Um, I mean, I have good Why? feelings. Well, because he maybe wasn't quite of the standard... That we would hope, um, you know, if you th- if one thinks of some of the left backs uh, we've had, scored a great goal in the cup final though, and uh, almost two hundred appearances for Arsenal, a good servant and a and a and a good player as well. I think he was just a a lovely character as well to have around. I think he was hugely valued within the camp. I vaguely remember there being a very sweet story about how he joined, which I've since forgotten. But like kind of very, I think it was a very sudden transfer. And, you know, when he found out that Arsenal were interested, he sort of, you know, his excitement levels were were huge. And I just think he's a, you just need people like Nacho Monreal in your, in your gang. I think every day that he went and turned up to training and every day that he put on the shirt, he he tried to do it with the most positive attitude he could. That I feel fine kind of sums him up, really. Uh, just saw on Twitter somebody posted a phenomenal video, by the way, of he and Santi Cazorla playing sort of <laughs> saw that. foot tennis over the kitchen table, which had a lot of things on it, or the dining room table or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> at one of their gaffes. And it's worth seeking out because, um, yeah, I keep watching it thinking... That's the sort of thing that the kids would do, and it would end in tears. And of course, the Nacho and Santi, it's just a just a <laughs> two bit big of, kids. Yeah, they were good pals. I think I, I, they were. They had a pals, nice yeah. little bromance. Yeah, I think I remember watching an interview, like a light-hearted one, on on Arsenal's website, and because all the basically. He was asked for the best and worst of so many things, and he just picked Monreal for the worst of everything: worst dancer, worst dress sense, worst everything. So um, yeah, that was quite sweet there. Yeah, their relationship. It just didn't. It just doesn't really look like a football. It just looks so normal. There's nothing flash about Nacho Monreal. It just looks like a guy down the street who happens to be good at football. And uh, no. yeah, I think I think he, he he did a good. He had a good time here. One can't imagine Nacho Monreal turning up dressed in gold in a gold Maserati. Really, it's no. just—it's a bit of a stretch, <laughs> it, it, isn't it? It would surely have a very normal car. I—I I, I don't know, but I would. Ford I would Focus. And, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, he had a good habit, didn't he, of popping up at the sort of corner of the six-yard box to to either score or, or put the ball across the face of goal. He, he, he wasn't the greatest left-back in the history of Arsenal Football Club, but he was a pretty steady one and he, he very rarely let That's a down. pretty hard, high bar, by the way. That is true. Yes, exactly. That is, that is true. I exactly. did see Ronaldo. I did see Ronaldo get um, interviewed the other day and talked about he's the best player he played against in that position. He said Ashley Cole. Who, so you know we have had some pretty good ones and Nigel Winterburn and Kenny Sampson. As you say, it is a high bar. Anyway, thanks, Nacho. We appreciate the work. Let's have a song to end. Uh, Amy, what you got for us? Well, there's a. You may have come across the new uh, Gabriel Jesus song doing the rounds. Have you? Anybody? No. I'm, I'm not oh, going to no. sing it. It's quite long. Go on, go for it. No. <laughs> Please but, welcome to the microphone, everyone. Amy Lawrence singing the latest version. No, you no? know I need okay. a. I need a proper warm up and everything. Um, uh, uh, but but it's to the tune of uh, of my old man's a dustman. So. I'm going to go for Lonnie Donegan's My Old Man's a Dustman. And actually, I put it on uh, YouTube just before coming on and uh, listening to it in its kind of original format, that kind of old-fashioned sort of... Reminding me of when, um, Stoney, I'm sure you'll remember this, there was a period, I'm pretty sure it was like... It might have been going on for years, but I certainly remember it from sort of around 89 onwards of singing Knees Up Mother Brown. Yeah. That football, with all that... Oi, oi, Cockney dancing, like... (laughs) It was such a laugh. So I think we, um, I'm all for bringing back a bit of that vibe yeah. to the to the song sheet. Oh, my old man's a dustman. He wears a dustman's hat. He wears gold blimey trousers and he lives in a council flat. Kids, uh, Lonnie Donegan, by the way, ask your grandparents. He was a bloke. Great grandparents. Great parents. He was a bloke who... Who, who sort of got famous playing a sort of washboard, uh, really. <laughs> Have a look. There's probably some YouTube footage Skiffle. of it out there. Skiffle, that's right. He was, a very, he was at the, the front and centre of the Skiffle craze, which essentially no came before... no idea what you're talking about. No, oh. it's all right. I know. It came before <laughs> rock and roll, slightly after the mandolin and the lute. Uh, but not much, to be honest. Adrian, what, what are you got for us? <laughs> from harpsichord to skiffle. <laughs> I was driving back from Sheffield last night and I had my, my tunes on sort of a shuffle playlist. And one, one song came on that I really liked, uh, One Republic, uh, Counting Stars. And I was, I was singing along to it. And the lyrics are quite good. They're quite apt. And, and it's sort of how I'm feeling. Lately, I've been losing sleep, dreaming about the things that we could be. That fits... Um, something about I've been praying hard. No more counting dollars. We'll be counting stars, and it it no. it, it just feels like we don't need to worry about so much about the money anymore. We're, we're going to be counting a lot of stars in our Arsenal lineup. It, I just feel from back to front, we've got so many young players that are coming into their prime that are going to be not just stars for Arsenal, but Premier League stars. And I feel like I'm I'm counting more and more. Within this lineup, so yeah, it was a great song. I loved it last night, and uh, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for that one. Amy, are you okay with this le- level of optimism? Sorry, just looking at you. <laughs> no, I'm just cringing. thinking about the the playlist, kind of. I'm just thinking about the DJ saging from Nonny Donegan to <laughs> <laughs> counting yeah, pros yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Come on, Sony, where, where's the DJ going now? Oh uh, well, the DJ. It. With me, I, I do you know what? I'm, I love being up uh, up in Edinburgh. It's an amazing arts festival. But I have to say, I'm missing 
not being at the Arsenal. I'm missing not being in London uh, and, and connected with my team. So I've gone for Miss You uh, by the Rolling Stones because I genuinely <laughs> am feeling it uh, at the moment. Um, <laughs> which is not after... Well, what about uh, everything but the girl? Miss You. That's, uh, a, there's the, that's, that's a, a great Do you know what? Track. That's another great version of which I, I had the uh, I had a CD with six different versions of it. Yes, on. I think I've got the uh, same one. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it all sounded much the same as yeah. far as I can remember. Uh, anyway, that's it for the pod. We're back uh, next week. Thanks to Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence and Abby, our producer. And thank you, listener, for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy Bournemouth at the weekend. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This is has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic.